Well, we're going to continue on this morning in message number five in our Through the Bible series and conclude this first section. I said we'd do these first five books together. We made it. Rock on! My ADD did not kick in, but this will, this will conclude our first segment of Through the Bible, and we'll go on and do some other things as the Lord leads, and at some point we'll be back again and we'll start with Joshua and move on through. So today we're looking at the book of Deuteronomy, is book number five. It is, to put this whole thing in context, Deuteronomy in context, it is book number five of the Bible. The first five books are called the Pentateuch, which as we know are five uh, tekos, is vessels, so the five vessels, these first five books, which make up this thing called the Torah, or the law for the Hebrew people. The word Deuteronomy, as a word, is translated in English uh, from, from or fully translated into English from the Latin from which it was derived, means the second law. And so as you're reading Deuteronomy, some of you maybe are reading through this stuff as we're going through, maybe you're reading Deuteronomy and you're going, hey, wait a minute, I've seen some of this stuff already, huh? And you know this is a repetition in the book of Deuteronomy from some of the stories that you read in Numbers and Leviticus and Exodus. And so it's a second law. And it's a more summarized, concise account of some of the things that you saw before. But you see how this fits perfectly in sequence with the, the way these five books fit together, Genesis being the beginning, starting with creation, the call of Abram, and uh, the call of the people of God, the multiplication of the people, and we leave them at the end of Genesis, finding their way to Egypt because of a famine, and Exodus opens 400 years later, and there are two million people caught in slavery, and that whole book is about the great escape, and they get out, and they find themselves in the wilderness, And then that third book, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, is about their identity and reshaping their identity as the people of God. They had no identity while they were slaves in Egypt. They lost their way. And God reestablished their identity through the atonement as the covenant people of God. And then we got to Numbers last week where we saw that was a book of organization, organizing their military. They had no reason or permission to have a military While they were in Egypt, now they needed one because they were about to go conquer a land. They were organizing themselves socially. They were organizing themselves spiritually. And so we saw that the book of Numbers was about, let's get ready, 40 years in this wilderness, let's get ready to go into this new land that God has promised us. Now we're in the book of Deuteronomy, and it, it really is a book that says, it's go time. We're going in, we've wandered for these 40 years, God has spoken to us, he has shaped us, he has made us, and now it's go time. But they don't actually go, because the last page of the book of Deuteronomy, they're getting ready to go. They're leaning over the river, and you've got Moses who's up on Mount Nebo, and he's looking out over into the promised land, but he's been clearly told by God before, and it's repeated, you don't get to go. You don't get to go. And so this is how the book of Deuteronomy rolls. So it's the second law. You've seen some of this stuff before, but there is new material. Ask me this question. What's new in Deuteronomy? Two things, really. First is that there's a crucial transition in leadership between Moses to Joshua. 
So Moses, he's 120 flipping years old. He's done, right? He was 40 when he let, went into the desert. 40 years God worked on him out there with Jethro as his father-in-law. 80 goes back, leads the Israelites out for 40 years in the wilderness. He's 120. It's time for a new guy. Joshua is the new guy. So throughout the book of Deuteronomy, there is this transition. I want you to think about how difficult that would have been for the people of Israel. They've been listening to Moses' voice. They trust Moses. They complained against Moses, and he didn't kill them. So they loved Moses, and it was time for Moses to be done. And it was time for Joshua to come up. That's a tough transition, and it's an important thing to read through the nuances of that in the book of Deuteronomy. That's a tough transition for any, any group of spiritual people who come together. But it was a crucial transition. But the second thing you've got to notice is that there's an extreme emphasis in Deuteronomy on this thing of, uh, of living a life of unquestioning obedience to God. If God says it, you do it. It's in Deuteronomy like nowhere else. In fact, if you look at the number of times the command to obey God comes up in, in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, it's 11 times combined. In the book of Deuteronomy, it comes up 30 times all by itself. So you see that this is a very important concept. Un living a life of unquestioning obedience to the word of God, to the will of God, that if God says to do something, you do it. No questions, you do it. If it looks like something you want to do, you do it. If it looks like something you don't want to do, you do it. Great. Unquestioning obedience to the will of God and the word of God. And I want you to think about how important it would have been for them at that time. Because they're going in to take over this promised land. They had no military experience. They... They wouldn't have known how to do what it was they were setting out to do. And so they would have had maybe their ideas about how do you take Jericho? It's this big fortified city. I mean, we've got these guys. They have swords and sticks. What are we going to do? And they might have been able to come up with their own plan, but God says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go in, and then once a day you're going to march around it, and, and then on the seventh day you're going to shout. We're going to shout. Yeah, because when you shout, all the walls will come down. Seriously. Can you imagine being the guy who came back from God that told the military, this is what, how we're going to take Jericho? Yeah, we're going to march around there real quiet, like. And then on a certain day, we're going to shout. And the walls are going to come down. Who's with me? That's what God said to do. And they had to live a life of unquestioning obedience to God in order to fulfill the purposes of God. Because everywhere they went, God had a blessing for them, but it was dependent on their obedience. So they went and they were, obeyed that, and what happened? Poof, the walls came down. That was a big day. So they were in a place as a people where unquestioning obedience to God was non-negotiable. 
non-negotiable. And that's really our focus for today, blind obedience to God, and it's something that I call the Kinsel Principle. It's blind obedience to God no matter what your heart is telling you to do. (laughs) No matter what your nature is telling you to do, it is blind obedience to God our Master. I call it the Kinsel Principle for a reason that I'll explain in just a minute, but let's look at this scripture first. Again, there are several places that we could visit in the book of Deuteronomy to see it, but I've chosen Deuteronomy chapter 28. I'm going to read 14 verses for you. Deuteronomy chapter 28, 1 through 14. This is the Kinsel Principle. The Bible says, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed in the crops of your land and the young of your livestock, and the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come, and blessed, come in, and blessed when you go out. And the Lord will grant that the enemies who rise up against you will be defeated before you. They will come at you from one direction, but flee from you in seven. The Lord will send a blessing on your barns and on everything you put your hand to. The Lord your God will bless you in the land he's giving you. The Lord will establish you as his holy people as he promised you on oath. If you keep the commands of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will fear you. And the Lord will grant you abundant prosperity in the fruit of your womb the young of your livestock, and the crops of your ground, in the land he swore to your forefathers to give you. The Lord will open the heavens, the storehouse of his bounty, to send rain on your land in season, and to bless all the work of your hands. You will lend to many nations, but will borrow from none. And the Lord will make you the head, not the tail, If you pay attention to the commands of the Lord your God that I give you this day and carefully follow them, you will always be at the top, never at the bottom. Do not turn aside from any of the commands I give you today to the right or to the left, following other gods and serving them. Well, the short version of this principle is that God blesses obedience. Now, I realize I'm reading from the Old Testament, and all of this is tempered in some respects by the cross of Christ. So, we may or may not get to that. But the, the principle remains on either side of the cross that God blesses obedience. And while our salvation may no longer be dependent on our works, but only on the works of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us, The principle remains that God blesses obedience. It's that simple. 
and that it's a direct blessing. Pat, as you are obedient to the word of God as you read it, and as you're obedient to the voice of God and that interior voice that I know you hear, it's a direct blessing from God. It's not a proxy. It's not something that's over there, but it's, a, it's the hand of God feeding you. And it's a proportional blessing, Mike. The more obedient you are, the greater the blessing. It's true that you yourself have a say in how much God blesses you by your decision to obey him. And if you're like me, it's been a mixed dynamic over life. But I've found that every time I obey God, unquestioningly just do as he says, whether it be in a service like this when we have all these plans and stuff and I hear the Lord saying no, don't preach or don't take an offering or whatever, and you just do it, God comes in thundering blessing. But when I withhold obedience from God, I withhold blessing from myself. I call this the Kinsel Principle because of something that happened in my life a long time ago. Something that happened during which God taught me an unforgettable lesson, and he showed me something that has functionally shaped how I have walked every day with Jesus Christ since then. How long ago was this, you ask? It was 1978. How many of you were not born in 1970? Don't raise your hands. I was just starting out as a pastor. I was 23 years old. Are there any 23-year-olds in the room or early 20s? Raise your hand if you're early 20s. Yeah. I know. I can't remember being your age, Lindsay, actually. But I was 23 years old and was pretty sure that the world was pretty lucky to have me. I had completed my bachelor's degree. I was in my first year of a Master of Divinity degree in a seminary in Northwest Ohio. And in this seminary, it was in the city of Finley, but it was dotted by little rural churches of 30 or 40 people. And they could never seem to get enough traction to, like, hire a real pastor. So they would go to the seminary, and they would say, what do you got? And so they'd send guys like me out to be their pastor. We were called student pastors. It was a part-time job, and, you know, it just fit in. And I had this opportunity to go to be the pastor of the Zion Church of God in Hamler, Ohio. Who wouldn't do that? And there were 40 people who went there. And they were just glad to have somebody show up on Sunday and do anything. And I was really excited about this because I loved God. I figured by this time I was going to be a pastor. That was God's call on my life. And and that there were people who were going to gather every Sunday morning to listen to me. 
anybody who's been in... That's exciting stuff. Man. And there were other responsibilities that were attached to being the student pastor there, like visiting people when they were in the hospital and visiting the older members who were now in nursing homes and stuff like that, right? Well, given the nature of this church, there was a lot of going to the hospital. These people were advanced in their years. They'd been had a lot more trips around the sun than I'd had, and so I spent a fair amount of my time driving to hospitals and figuring out what I'm supposed to do when I get there, but there had been no class in seminary yet. Turns out there never was. That what you do, actually, when you show up in the hospital room. But I would go and feel pretty good because, you know, I got a little parking pass and a badge and pastor and clipper on my jacket because pastors wear jackets, and I walk in. Uh, Pastor Tom Paquette here, see so-and-so. Oh, yes, you can go back. It's not visiting hours. You can go back. You're the pastor. Well, of course. Free parking, whole deal. So it was awesome. But I got to tell you something. Didn't really like going because I'm a little squeamish. I'm a little bit squeamish. I'm not so much now, but was then. And I discovered something way early on that blew my mind. And that is that when a pastor walks in, doesn't matter what procedure has been done, they want to show you. I don't know why they want to show you. Somehow important, I guess, in the pastor's prayer life to know how long the incision is. So there's a fair amount of, well, here's what I had done. I'm very happy for your hysterectomy, ma'am. You may put the sheet back. I'm good. Didn't need to see that. And you can't unsee it. (laughs) And so there was this, right? There was this dynamic. And then I just remember one day, I got a call from somebody in the church that I needed to go visit Alta Kinsel. She was an older member of the church, and she was in a nursing home. And as it turned out, she had just been returned from the hospital to the nursing home Because of a complication in her diabetes, she'd had to have part of her leg amputated. This was the most squeamish thing I could think about, is visiting somebody who had had that. I I don't know why. I can't explain it. It just felt really creepy to go in. I knew what she was going to do. You want to see? And and I, I found it very difficult. And so, but I knew I had to go. And I knew in my just fledgling little little baby ears to God that it was God telling me, you go see Alta Kinsel. And I'm like, all right, I'll go see Alta Kinsel. So I drove to the nursing home, and I just remember coming up on the driveway and thinking, I can't do, I, I just can't do it. I can't, I can't go in, I can't, I can't go in there. I, I'm not going to go in there. And so, in my 1973 Dodge Dart Swinger with a 318 four-barrel, I just put that thing down. I just went by. 
that. And I'm like, God, I can't go in there. It's going to be creepy. I don't want to. I don't know what I'll do when I get in there. Too bad about your leg. What am I going to even say? And so I drove past. And I got up a mile or so and turned the car around. Okay, God, I'm your obedient servant. I'll go. And I turned back and I came up on the driveway and I went, I'm not going. I went right by that driveway again. And I don't know how much gas I used going back and forth in front of that nursing home. I don't know how many times I did. I really just don't remember. But I remember it was a real struggle. But I knew God was saying something to me. I couldn't have put it in those terms then. But I knew God, the God of the universe, expected me to go in there. And I thought it was because of something that I was supposed to be amazing for her. So finally it wore me down, and I parked the car. I drug my way, you know, into the... Hi, I'm Tom Paquette to see Alta Kinsel. Oh, yeah, well, she's down in the room, whatever. I walked in there, and I was so nervous. And I remember just walking in there and seeing this lady, just a, just a mite of a lady. And she looked at me, and she was grinning from one ear to the other ear. She was, had such, she was beaming with something. And I just sat down there and introduced myself. I'm the new student pastor at Zion. And, said, and she just began to talk about God and the love of God and how much God loved her and how much God loved me. And I was overwhelmed with incredible blessing on that day. I probably prayed. I probably tried to do something. I don't really remember any of that. I just remember leaving that room going, I am really glad that I was obedient to God because it wasn't what I was bringing to her. It was what she had for me in the blessing, in the obedience. So I call it the Kinsel Principle, named it after Alta Kinsel. That when we obey God, there's a blessing. There's a blessing waiting for us when we obey God. I got a lot more sermon about how it's not works righteousness and a whole bunch of really impressive theology and stuff for you. But I'm not going to preach it because I think the word of God is in the room right now. And some of you are listening to this, going, when I obey God, there's a blessing. There's a blessing in the unquestioning, simple, direct obedience. You may be reading something in the Bible, and you're reading it, and you go, oh, man, that is just jumping off the page at me. That's God saying Here's your obedience. Here's your opportunity for blessing. Or you may be having that interior voice of the Holy Spirit inside of you, telling you something, reminding you of someone. You know that it's God speaking to you. And I want to I promise you this from the Word of God, that there's blessing at the end of that obedience. That's about it.